The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. I am joined by a crew of sorts. Before we get into that, I need to ask you to take time to review us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on YouTube, five-star ratings, uh, and leave ratings. If you want to leave us some comments, tell me how bad we're doing, how good we're doing, whatever. As long as you leave a rating. Mostly how stars. good we're doing. Absolutely. But, you know, I like to give people options. Do it. Leave us those ratings. It helps us help you get your podcast content. And also, sponsor is Johnny T-Shirt. Support them. Even after Christmas, even after uh, all the sales they've always had, they're always looking uh, for business, and they're always taking care of our subscribers and our customers. And, of course, you get 10% off your order. The crew I have, you've heard one voice, the voice of Buck Sanders. I've got Greg Barnes, and I've got Jason Staples with me. I do not know exactly how to title this, so we'll call it a roundtable, and we'll call it a look back, look forward, Carolina football version inside Carolina roundtable. Buck, I'll come to you first. We haven't talked since the Orange Bowl, and uh, I was watching that game thinking I was watching the 2021 season, and that's pretty much what it was. But your overall take and, and thoughts on that game, but since then with everything that's gone on. Well, I, I would call this a square table since there's only four of us uh, as opposed to a round table. Um, <laughs> Leave it to El Jefe to make trouble. <laughs> good trouble. <laughs> I make good trouble. We need some of that. Uh, you know, we didn't have our normal day after podcast after the Orange Bowl. And I, I would disagree, I think, pretty strongly with the idea that we were watching the 2021 Tar Heels uh, in the Orange Bowl. I think there's a lot that's going to happen and a lot that is going to happen organically uh, between what we saw uh, at the Orange Bowl and what we're going to see in 2021. Um, we're going to try to keep this first segment of the podcast focused on 2020 and we'll get into 2021 um in the second half but I, I i really don't i think there's going to be a lot of difference actually particularly on the defensive side 
uh, and very likely a lot of difference on the offensive side, particularly when it comes to the running game between what we saw in the orange bowl and what we're going to see in 2021, be happy to get into that, you know, in this, you know, the second, uh, half of the podcast, but, um, you know, I, I think what we saw, uh, in the orange bowl was the UNC doing the best they could with what they had on short notice with, um, 4,000 yards of offense missing. Um, I think we'll see something much different um, when it comes to 2021. But uh, I, I don't think there's much takeaway um, that we can get into for the 2020 season just basing it off of the 20 uh, uh, off the Orange Bowl. Uh, Texas A&M was a, a very good defensive team. Um, you know, you, you know, I mentioned this in one of my columns, but uh, British Brooks had as good a stat line against Texas A&M as Najee Harris of Alabama did. Uh, so I just don't think you can draw a lot of conclusions from what you saw in the orange bowl and extrapolate out, uh, to the 2021 season. And I'll yield back the rest of my time on this topic, you know, to, uh, to capture, to, our, capture the current, uh, state of affairs in the United States to, <laughs> to the, to the leader, uh, Greg, I'll get it to you first. Cause 2020 was historic in many different ways. Um, I'm looking at the stats, and I know you've got them, but 500 points on the nose for this offense in 12 games. Seems impressive. What what saith you about the level that this team played at over the course of this season? Well, Tommy, we can do this two ways. Uh, you may give you my, my take on, on the Orange Bowl real quick, or do you mean to dive into these season stats? Yeah, go ahead and give me your take, and and, and I don't – you know, Buck doesn't agree with me. He agrees with me a lot, but he doesn't agree with me this time. It it just it, it felt different. That team that I watched in the Orange Bowl in Miami Gardens felt a lot different than the team I watched two weeks before that. I, I don't disagree with that point, Tommy. I'm just disagree where you think what we saw in the Orange Bowl is what we're going to see in 2021. That's my point. Okay, I agree. I agree with that. Go ahead, Greg. Well, I would, yeah, I would say I agree with Buck because what we saw in the Orange Bowl is not enough if North Carolina wants to be a legitimate national-type team. Uh, the reason I say that is I had some conversations with some, some people on the boards about this after the game. Uh, and I, For me, it's a relevant conversation. You guys may disagree. Um, but if you look at what happened against Notre Dame and Texas A&M, two legitimate top-five teams, when it mattered in the fourth quarter, UNC was outscored 31 to seven. Offensively, uh, yards wise, it was 310 to 134. AM and the Irish averaged 9.1 yards per play. UNC averaged 4.2 yards per play. Those two teams had 198 rushing yards in the fourth quarter. UNC had negative eight. And of course, sacks play into that. Um, this is a North Carolina podcast, so I imagine everybody is aware of, of how Roy Williams does things. 
and what Roy has always says, he doesn't even look at the scoreboard in the first half. It serves no purpose. He wants to see how his team is playing because his philosophy is talent will win out. And he wants to get up and down the court. He wants to rotate guys in so that by the time you get to the final five minutes, the other team is in foul trouble. And those guys are gassed. And that gives his team a legitimate advantage when it matters. What did Mac Brown say after the Syracuse game? He actually kind of shot back at the fans a little bit because the fans were upset that it was 10 to 6 entering the fourth quarter. What did he say? They're not counting by quarters. It's how you finish the game that matters. North Carolina outscored Syracuse 21 to zip in that fourth quarter because North Carolina was clearly the better team. They just had not played up to it to that point. I'm not taking away from what North Carolina did early against Notre Dame and early against Texas A&M. What I am saying is that North Carolina has a big step to take to reach that level because they have to build depth. They have to, they have to do better executing and they have to be better all, all the way around. Um, and so I, I think we have to be cautious. And this is why I think Buck is right. And I think Mac's right. This team has a long ways to go. Uh, the expectations are there. The fact that you have a guy like Sam Howe is critically important. Um, but I, I think what we saw against A&M is you know, this team is well coached. They have some good players. Uh, and when you can do that, you can play. But when it got down to crunch time, the talent rose up. And Texas A&M was clearly the better team in the fourth quarter, just like Notre Dame was clearly the better team in the fourth quarter. That was my takeaway from, from the Orange Bowl. Jason, I'll bring you in here before we get into the numbers a little bit. That, that, that is what I saw. I, I saw a Carolina team that has talent in the first 22, um, but could not man up beyond that. And that's the level. That's the difference in the levels um, between 8 and 3 and 10 and 11 and 1 on a consistent basis. What did you see? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also saw a team in Texas A&M that was a little more physical than North Carolina for the most part on the night. And, and, and this, was a, this was an interesting styles matchup in that, and just like with the Notre Dame game, Texas A&M and Notre Dame were, they were, they were those boxers that are going to go body blow, body blow, body blow, body blow, body blow through, through the whole match. And they're just going to try to take away your legs. And then by the time you're, weakened a little bit from the broken ribs you've gotten all, all uh, uh, a few times in, in the match, then you've, you've lost your power. You're finally staggering a little bit. And then they finally blow to the head late and, you know, they get you in the fourth quarter. And, you know, that's the, the Alabama formula for years before Alabama landed all the playmakers that now they can basically do whatever they want offensively. But, you know, it's the slow cooker type thing. And that's kind of what, what I saw now, I did see a North Carolina team that has enough playmakers and has a good enough quarterback where they made some big plays that kept them in the ball game. I mean, I look at this, I look at the stat line here and this game was, this game was a close game and North Carolina had every chance to win this game in the fourth quarter. But then you look at the stat line and you go, huh, interesting. I mean, North Carolina was outgained by, a lot more than I thought in terms of yards per play. I mean, I'm looking at it now. Average yards per play. Texas A&M averaged 7.5 yards per play. North Carolina averaged five. Normally, that's going to translate into about a 14-point loss, maybe a little more. And even with 
that bad interception, that turnover early, North Carolina was still in the ball game despite being outgained like that per play. And yes, the 75 yarder did matter, but there were some big plays on Carolina's side as well. They, they were in the, they were in the ball game. They found ways to win some situations, to keep themselves in the game. So that's a good, a good sign for being able to compete down the line is that this team rose up and, and managed to, to do some important things in key situations, uh, particularly Josh Downs with those couple big plays that he had that, those were those are crucial at the same point though that tells you a little bit of how far again like what Greg said how far Carolina has to go and I think if you dig a little deeper into the numbers as well and I know you said before we get to the numbers but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with them because I had them them sitting here ready to go when you look a little bit more at the numbers you can kind of see how this worked in first quarter the two teams were even in average yards per play 3.2 yards per play Second quarter, Carolina averaged 6.2 yards per play, Texas A&M 9.3. So as the half went on, A&M was able to sort of exert their will a little bit more. Second half, Carolina comes out. Third quarter, Carolina averages 5.0 yards per play. Texas A&M averages 5.5. Things right back to pretty close to even in the third quarter. And then as the half goes on, what happens? Fourth quarter, Texas A&M averaged 10.7 yards per play. Now that's bolstered by that long late touchdown. But even without that, they're at about seven and a half. And Carolina's at 5.5. That right there tells you exactly in number form what Greg was just talking about in terms of you had, a, you had one team that just – they had enough players and they had the, the coaching staff to be able to compete early in each half. And then as adjustments got made, as you start getting the backups or as you start getting guys that get a little bit tired, the, be, the team with better players down the roster won the football game. And the other thing that you could see is Anna was a more mature football team on both lines of, lines of scrimmage was a more mature team in general, just physically. If you looked at those guys and you looked at Carolina, you'd say, yeah, you know, they, they look like a, you know, a, a group of, under, of upperclassmen who have been in, in the Texas A&M weight program for a while, and they've eaten well. And North Carolina still has a little ways to go to look like that on the hoof. And so, you know, this is, this is where next year, I think, I think Buck's right that next year, defensively, Carolina's going to look different than they did in this game because of some of the bodies that they're going to be able to rotate on the defensive line. They're going to be another step closer to what you saw at Texas A&M there. But the one place where I do think it looked like the 2021 team is on the offensive side, I think you're going to see a lot, of, a lot more of what we did on the offensive side just because of some of the limitations without Carter and Williams who, I mean, I think the biggest reason that this game looked so different, why it felt like a different team, is all year, this team was about Carter and Williams in the backfield. And in this game, it was Sam Howell, period. They didn't have that other, that, the, the identity this year has been running backs first and then Howell as a really, really good uh, sidekick. This game was Sam Howell as both the protagonist and the sidekick. And they're going to need to find some ways to, to give him a little bit more help in 2021 as well. But those were my initial observations from this game. 
And, you know, I think, I think it says a lot about where Carolina is as a program and how close they are in a lot of areas and how far they have to go in some others. Yeah, I think the depth and the lines or the, the building block, there's blocks there, but not near enough. But, but what do you say to the, to the Inside Carolina message board poster that says if Choffrey Brown doesn't drop that touchdown, Carolina likely or very likely wins that game? Because that's when I felt like it was over. When that happened, I felt like game was over. And yep, then our, you've got to take advantage of every one of those opportunities. Yeah, and that is, I guess, the levels of the two teams. Carolina missed one opportunity there, and it cost them the game. Texas A&M didn't have to rely on that so much. But, uh, I mean, what do you say to the fan base to sort of ease back on maybe some expectations coming out of that? Well, the first thing I would say is that if if and – Ifs and buts were candy and nuts. Oh, what a Merry Christmas we'd all have. I, I have missed you, Buck. And I, and I had a Merry Christmas with a bunch of candy. <laughs> Here, I thought you were going to talk about your, your aunt initially and, and when, when you were going to respond to this one instead of Christmas. But Christmas is a refreshing change here, Buck. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't like to get into the, uh, you know, the uh, scatology part of uh, uh making comparisons, but, you know, uh, we, we get back to, uh, and Greg, uh, spilled a ton of ink about this, uh, last year, uh, in the spring portion of at least, and even into the fall, uh, I'm old enough to remember when Diamond Brown got cussed out because he had bad hands, uh, None of the NC, UNC receivers could catch a cold. Um, you know, they were dropping balls all over the place, and there was big concern from the coaching staff that we, we got too many drop passes and uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, if, you know, if I was projecting forward, I would say in the spring we'll have that same conversation about receiver's hands and who's catching what and this, that, and the other. And then by the time we get to the fall, there'll be less of that conversation. By the time we get to mid-season of 2021, you'll start seeing uh, UNC receivers making spectacular catches. And, in fact, we saw that um, in 2019 in the first game. Uh, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom starting to make some spectacular catches, although they also have some inexplicable drops. So, um, you know, I, it, you can't base uh, whether you win or lose a game on, well, this running back had a 76-yard run. If it wasn't for that, we'd have won run the game. That, that's not how football works. Um, and you can't say – well, you know, if Coffrey Brown had caught that ball, we were going to win. You don't know, had he caught that ball, what would have happened after that? You know, you know there might have been adjustments on the other side. That That's really no way to analyze a game. What happened, happened. And it what matters is, just like in a fight, if you get knocked down, it matters – more about what you do after that. Do you get back up? Do you fight at that point? So, you know, I, I would say 
if you're wasting your time talking about whether Coffee Brown had caught that ball or not, you're truly wasting your time. And uh, so that's my answer to your question, Tommy. It reminds me of that Jordan meme or that Jordan gif where he says, just stop it. Just stop. Greg, uh, I know you want to talk about numbers because you're our numbers guy. And I have to wrap my head around the numbers I see and remember it's just in 12 games. But talk to us about them. Yeah, and I just looked this up while Buck was talking because it was a good point. Um, Last year, this talks about – this kind of speaks to progress, right? It's baby steps, but it's enough where you can see it. North Carolina had 32 drop passes in 2019. Granted, that was 13 games. 12 games this year, only 17. Um, and, and that's the progression you've got to make. And you know, next year, because you're losing Daz and Diami, uh, as Buck says, maybe those numbers go back up a little bit. But uh, the more you build talent, the, those kind of things uh, lessen. And, and that, that's kind of what you want. You, you want to round things out and polish the edges. Um, just kind of looking back on, on 2020 football season, it's it been a hell of a year. What's, what's interesting to me, and we've talked about this quite a bit on this podcast, um, is what you see on the message board in terms of criticism directed at coordinators doesn't match up with kind of what the stats say. Uh, Bateman has, has been given especially, – Especially with Phil Longo. Let me interject there. I mean, you got like, what, the fourth, fifth, sixth best offense in the nation and fire the bomb. I mean, yeah. what are we doing here, you know? <laughs> the, the best offense in UNC football history. And there you more go. Like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> and, and Bateman's been given a pass. Now, uh, Longo had known quantities, whereas Bateman did not. We all know what Bateman was kind of dealing with. But even so, uh, so going through some of these numbers, uh, looking at a bunch of different ones. The one, kind of the, the, the stock one I'll look at quite a bit is, is yards per play. Uh, the offense averaged 7.6, which is fifth best in the country. That is the, the, the highest number in school history. That's quite impressive. Defensively, UNC was 75th nationally and allowing 5.8 yards per play. Um, scoring offense was 10th nationally, 41.7. Defense was 65th in scoring defense, 29.4. And then two of the advanced metrics that, that we've always kind of looked at um, is S&P Plus and then FIE or FEI, uh, Brian Fimo's uh, per possession scoring advantage. Uh, offense was 7th in FEI, uh, which means that you know, against a, an average opponent uh, per possession, they were averaging 1.48 points more than the average offense. Really good offense. Defensively, UNC was 90th. Uh, and again, you have an average defense w- was uh, allowing 4.47, about half a point less than what North Carolina was. Uh, and then S&P Plus, which is more kind of efficiency-based, the offense once again was sixth, and defense was 52nd. So S&P Plus had the defense a little bit better than the FEI. But I think the main thing there is offense is seventh, sixth, and fifth in three key metrics. Um, incredible job by Phil Longo in this offense for, for what they did. Uh, very impressive. And that was against, according to Sagarin, and that's, that's against the 65th toughest schedule. So it wasn't a hard schedule, even though once we got into December and, of course, January, 
North Carolina plates some really good teams. Let me, before I jump to Jason on that, Greg, red zone. Because that's the one thing, if I had a criticism, that's the one area that I hear the most about. Let's be honest, you do have a criticism. I said if. I'm just the host. I'm just and you know, Greg, questions. if you can't handle this, I'm happy to jump in for you. <laughs> no, I've got it. I am pulling it up right now. The I think what everybody needs to know is that there was legitimate beef uh, with Phil Longo because his offenses at Ole Miss, while they were explosive, they really struggled scoring touchdowns in the red zone. And same issue occurred last year. This year has not been has been that situation. Uh, converting 73.2% in the red zone as touchdowns. That was tops in the ACC. And let's see here, drum roll. Uh, that is actually 15th nationally. So again, uh, phenomenal. Fire feel. Fire feel. Fire feel. That should be yeah. the hashtag this offseason. Fire feel. And you know that uh, wheel route to Josh Downs uh, for the touchdown. That's, that's as good a design play call as I've ever seen in the red zone. I, good I luck having a linebacker cover that guy out of the backfield. Yeah. That ain't happening. Uh, and yeah. there was a nice, the nice wrinkle out of that. And I'm going to, I'm actually going to do like a two minute video on this or, you know, minute and a half video. The nice wrinkle on that is having your receiver, not just run a shallow toward the running back, but have him run a zig route so that he actually sits down and then starts coming back outside. So there's like, three opportunities to make sure that he's screening off that that backer it's that much harder to get over and that's a nice little wrinkle that you don't normally see in that uh in that version of a uh, of a rub route or as defensive coaches like to call it a pick play um but uh but yeah that was that was great now, i will say i do i still think just in certain things that there was reason for beef at times against better teams in the red zone this year and if you've got javante williams you dang well better be good in the red zone <laughs> because well you know i think simple. phil went to that option a lot more um in 2020 than he did 2019 yeah yeah and and you could see within in against uh against texas a&m how big a difference that made when they got into the red zone and also on the on that last third and fourth down those that last third and fourth down attempts both of those are plays where odds are Carter or Williams, but especially Williams get the first down and they just, they, they didn't there because, well, you, you don't have a, a guy who's a top, uh, a, a top NFL prospect at the position running the ball. You've got a guy that's younger and, and it's going to take a little time to, to develop. So, so there is, there's going to be some adjustment I'm sure there <laughs> that they're going to have to deal with. Yeah, we'll talk about the adjustments need to be made after the break. But, Buck, I'm going to let you close the season, start close the season on 2020. Let's let's talk about our grades, our ABCD grades on this team compared to what we expected when we did this roundtable um, season prediction show. I'm so terrible at it. I might have to get rid of that one. But uh, how do you think this – team matched up with your expectations in august well you know greg and jason will probably you know refute me on this (laughs) but uh my preseason predictions were like on the money uh the only thing i got wrong um was the record the the virginia game (laughs) the virginia game yeah i got the record wrong but you and jason both picked games uh, outside of what happened actually on the field. So, uh, 
I was going to throw some sort of epithet in there, but I'll refrain myself, restrain myself in that regard. But, you know, um, the thing that I think I probably underestimated uh, and something I'll keep my eye on next year, and I think Mac has already spoken to this like a dozen times since the season ended, is that I underestimated the ability of UNC to lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. They shouldn't have lost to Virginia. They shouldn't have lost to Florida State. Um, so, and, and Mac has spoken to that. And, and, you know, I think the biggest takeaway probably for me in the entire 2020 season is the ability of North Carolina moving forward to take a lesson from that Florida state game, which Mac pointed out in his press conference was that was probably the most important game of the season for this program, not just last season moving forward that, you know, if you want to play run with the big boys, you, you want to, you know, have a nationally respected program. You just can't lose to people that you're supposed to be, especially not, when you're a double digit favorite. And so I, I think that's probably um, the teaching point moving forward for this team is that, you know, when, when you're playing that team, you're favored by 14, all the metrics show that you should beat them easily. You got to win that game. You know, that's a game you got to win. Uh, now, when you're, matched up where, you know, with a team where the margin of victory is like, you know, 0.25 Vegas spread or whatever, you know, stuff can happen. You know, football is, uh, shaped funny. It can bounce funny. Um, you know, you could come out on one end of the score of that or the other, but when you're favored by 14 points, if you don't come out and put your foot on the neck of that team and beat them, then you, you got no business calling yourself uh, somebody that's nationally relevant. So uh, that's my biggest takeaway. And that's, I think, the next step for this North Carolina program. You know, when, when you get in those games next year, you got something to prove. You know, we always talk about what teams have to prove against this team or that team. Well, the thing that North Carolina has to prove more than anything is that when they're favored by that number, they got to win that game. That's what they got to prove. So that's where I'm at on my take for the 2020 season. And I agree with Mac that the biggest game, uh, most important game they played in 2020 was against Florida State. Yeah, you can't crap the bed. Um and expect to be in the national hunt, even though I don't think the season ends any differently if they win both of those games. I think they play the Orange Bowl, um, probably against Texas A&M, um, maybe as the as the fifth-ranked team or the sixth-ranked team, but I think it's pretty similar. Jason, uh, wrap, wrap 20 in your mind. So I, I do want to ask a question of you all. Do you have any idea – for a 14-point favorite, how often in college football does a 14-point favorite lose, percentage-wise? Yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that uh, spreadsheet before, but it's rare. Ten percent of the time. Uh, yeah, I'd say between ten and fifteen percent. 
or less. It is. It is just under fifteen percent. And at the fourteen point at the at the fourteen point, it's fourteen point two six percent are losses. At thirteen and a half, it's fifteen point six, and at at fourteen and a half, it's fifteen point two four. So basically, you expect to win games that you're favored by fourteen points. You expect to win about eighty five percent of those, by and large. So if you want to win more than, let's say you've got a you've got a uh, an 11 game season. If you want more than eight wins, you need to be favored by more than 14 in most of your games, which is something to, to think about for those of you out there, you know, thinking about, about expectations moving forward uh, to get down to 10%. You get to the set uh, to the 17 point mark. Once you're favored by 17 or more, you drop on, you drop into the single digits. So that's really, and, and what's interesting about that, that's the three possession mark, right? Once you get into the three possession area, that's when, that's when it, it takes a lot to lose that game. But uh, I think what that, what that all boils down to in terms of you've got to beat all the teams that you're supposed to and everything, this reminds me of, you know, I, I saw analysis of Tom Herman's time at, at Texas not long ago where they were talking about how Tom Herman uh, was right around 500 in games decided by one score or less. And somebody said, well, see, the problem isn't their performance in one score or, you know, in games decided by one score. The problem is that Texas has played an awful lot of one-score games in the Tom Herman era. And you can't afford that. If you're a good team, if you're a team that's going to beat those beat teams that you should, you don't get into a lot of one-score games because you're, you're that much better. And that's the, that's the bridge Carolina needs to get to. And – so when I, when I wrapped this season, you know, Greg and I both had North Carolina finish with the record that they finished with. We, we figured this was about where they'd wind up. We, and we both said in the prediction show, like, eh, I'm not sure who that, that third regular season loss is going to be. I mean, I think both of us had, uh, had, well, we both had Clemson. Uh, and then uh, we both had, I think Notre Dame. Uh, yeah, Notre Dame. Yeah, we both had Clemson and Notre Dame as losses. And Maybe then it was Miami. Just a of, yeah, and then it was a matter of like who that third loss is going to be. I had Miami. And then Greg famously had Boston College, which actually was a close game. But here's the thing. <laughs> Still a laughable <laughs> prediction. <laughs> it was awfully close, guys. But here's the thing. It was, it was one of those things of like, look, there's going to be enough – games on the margin here where Carolina is going to be a favored team, but odds of them winning all of those games, given how close closely favored they, they, they are in terms of overall talent on the field on both sides, they're not likely to win all of those. And so I think in, in, in large part, Carolina this season met my expectations, which was to take a, a, a sizable step forward in terms of the program and to put themselves in position to be a legitimate contender next year and the year following. So basically you got to remember two years ago, they were a losing football team and had been a losing football team multiple years in a row. And then Matt comes in and they go to suddenly you're, you're winning football team. And then this year, suddenly you're, starting to punch above your weight a little bit. And then next year is the first year where it's like, you know what? you expect them to start winning if not all of the games that they're supposed to maybe only drop one 
in, against a fuller schedule. And so you're going, okay, this team's start, starting to show signs of being uh, – this program's starting to show signs of, of maturing into what, what Matt Brown is trying to build. So this year to me was, was just a, a – met expectations and completely on schedule for what Matt Brown is trying to build. This was a, that, that's to me the, the, um, the, the summary – my summary of the season is on schedule. They're 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 right right where you would you would expect them to be if they're if they're headed towards what Mac Brown is trying to build. Greg, nutshell it, twenty twenty. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and I think I think the Miami game was was important. Um, you know what Buck said and what Mac said about Florida State, I think kind of woke them up. And I, I agree the importance level there. That was kind of a shockingly bad loss. Uh, but for North Carolina, if, if they lose the game at Miami, I think there's a lot of people talking about this team not taking advantage of their potent offense. Um, and then maybe you get some heat on Jay Bateman and they're playing in the, I don't know, the Duke Mayo Bowl possibly. Um, but the way they played against Miami and then the way they played in the Orange Bowl, I, I think is, is why everybody is so, so hyped up. I thought it was funny. Max said – you know, if North Carolina had won the Orange Bowl, expectations would really be through the roof. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, they lost. Are you not paying attention to what we're saying? <laughs> <laughs> Have you met Buck Sanders? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I agree that I, you, North Carolina needed to take some steps forward. We knew that the uh, defensive line was going to be a liability. It was. Uh, they needed to show progress. Um, I think there's a lot of talent in, in the younger classes that's only going to continue. I, I do think uh, you, the offense was better than I thought it would be. The defense probably wasn't as good as I thought it could be, even though I knew that the defensive line had some, some issues. But I think for the most part, after that FSU game, I thought they played well. Um, they didn't play great. And kind of to, to Jason's point, where, where Mac wants to take this program he talked about Joe Royal told him there's going to be a couple weeks every year where you just are not going to have any idea what your guys are going to do. They're going to come out flat uh, for whatever random reason. And it's not going to be one guy. It's going to be the entire team. And so you want to build up enough talent so that when you step on the field, you're basically a three touchdown favorite. And if you play your B game or your C game, like North Carolina did against Syracuse, you're still good enough to, to scrape by with the win. And you may be on upset alert, but you get the job done. But when you're a seven-point favorite or ten-point favorite, there's a good chance you're going to lose those games. And you know, Virginia, they were a touchdown favorite in Charlottesville. Uh, Virginia doesn't have the talent that North Carolina does, but they're well-coached and they're, they're tough defensively. And North Carolina had to play well in that game to win, and they didn't play well enough. Uh, and so that's going to happen more until you start to see this talent separation. And you know, we can talk about this in the next segment. Does Carolina get there next year? Or are we talking about two or three years down the road? Uh, that, that's, that's the big question mark. And, it, you know, the other thing to think about there is that one, you know, a couple weeks in a row, two, three weeks in a row, you might be down both of your starting corners. You know, that it's the attrition part of the college football season that, Every year, people seem to forget about. 
that, and that's, by the way, one of the best arguments for why, even though I think Ohio State, I'm not sure what their corona situation is right now. I've heard some rumblings that they, they may not have a full complement there. But if Ohio State has a full roster, I wouldn't be surprised to beat, see them beat, uh, beat Alabama in the national championship game. They've got, they've got the players to do it. And I think that quarterback, I think, I think Fields is certainly capable of, of that kind of performance. But I'm not sure. I, I mean, this is the best argument against Ohio State being in the playoff. Six games, you don't have enough opportunity for the attrition and for some of the, the stuff that happens during a season to cost a team a game to happen to you. Right. And that's the thing. And so, you know, that's, that's what you have to get good enough, like Greg was saying. You have to get good enough as a program to where when it's not all right, when that attrition kicks in, when, you know, a few, when a couple guys, a couple key guys just got dumped by their girlfriends or whatever, when that happens, you have to be good enough that you can compensate for that. And that's when you're on the level of your Clemsons and your Alabamas or whatever, where, well, that guy's just having, you know, those two guys are just having a rotten day or those two guys are just injured or whatever. And it doesn't matter because, well, we've got another guy we can pull off the bench and he's still, you know, he's still really good. And he's, He's, uh, he's, he's got range the moment he stops, he steps into the gym. Yep. Yeah, I think Ohio State has a rib problem just as much as the corona problem. But anyway, I digress. I don't want to make light of the COVID situation. Let's take a short break, talk about Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. I know Mr. Buck Sanders wanted these segments to be short. It's never short when we're together, Buck. So this one's a little bit longer, but – while we're talking, this has already gone as long as I hope the whole podcast would go. <laughs> well, if you need so, to drop, if you need to drop, we understand. Yeah. Um, our sponsors, I would never put up with the harassment I would get if I did that. <laughs> you would absolutely get harassed, and and Johnny T-shirt would be disappointed because the bell cow would be dropping out of the podcast. Take a second to go to johnnytshirt.com and visit them and order some stuff. It's wintertime now. It's supposed to snow tomorrow. Um, if you need sweatshirts and, and sweatpants and things like that, they've got you covered. And they cover our Inside Carolina Premium subscribers with 10% off their order. And they look after us, so let's look after them. Take another short break. Let the national guys pay the bills. We'll be back with the Inside Carolina Square Table Roundtable podcast. Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, and Greg Barnes. I'm Tommy Ashley. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that will elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. All right, boys, we're back. InsideCarolina.com podcast. 
Jason, Greg, and Buck, and myself. Rate us and review us. Don't forget to do that if you haven't done it already. Let's talk about 2021. And Greg, I'm going to start with you first because you brought it up in the last segment. Is it next year that Carolina sort of gets to that level where they can not get out of bed one morning and still win most all their ball games? I think from what I saw in the Orange Bowl makes me believe that the defense might be closer than we thought. Uh, your take? Um, I think it's a great question because I think you have to take advantage of of the talent that you have. And when I say that, I'm specifically referring to Sam Howell. Uh, best quarterback in UNC football history. Everybody assumes that Jacoby Criswell or Drake May is going to step in and be the next best thing. I mean, how many times have we heard that across the country? You just do not know how quarterbacks are going to turn out. Um, we know what Sam Howell is. And so you're in this situation next year where it's going to be his last year in Chapel Hill, most likely. And the offense is pretty much going to return everybody. Now, they have to find a running back. And I think they're going to try to solve that issue through the uh, transfer portal, if possible. So I think you're good there. But defensively, yeah, I mean, how – how quickly does that talent mature? Because you know you got Vahasic back, and he had a, he had a pretty good year this year. Um, Tamari Fox has been up and down. Tamon Fox coming back is, is a nice boost. But you, you really need you know, Murphy or, or maybe one of the new guys coming in to really take a significant step, where if you want to put three down linemen in the game, you can do that. Um, and you don't have to rely on these outside linebackers who you're kind of beefed up linebackers to, to serve as defensive ends. Uh, that, that's probably not your preference if you, if you have the bodies that you want. So I think you're in this unique situation where Jay Bateman really needs to do a good job and they really need to do a good job this offseason in developing those guys so the defense does play at a higher standard. Because kind of as you allude to, Tommy, the defense in stretches late in the year looked really good. The problem is – they weren't full games. They were just stretches of times. You know, Wake Forest, they got three consecutive stops. Notre Dame, they looked good for stretches of time until late. Texas A&M, they looked good for stretches of time until late. Um, that needs to play out for the course of the game. Um, will they be good enough for North Carolina to be favored in pretty much most of their games? Yeah. Um, but you have to avoid kind of the pitfall games, as, as Buck talked about. But then the, some of the bigger games that you have, you know, the Notre Dame and the Miami and you know, whoever else is going to be good in the coastal uh, pit, you've got to take advantage of those opportunities, and the defense has to be good enough if Sam Howell and the offense don't play at their A level, which we saw a few times this year. Um, and so I think that's kind of the challenge is uh, you, two years from now, no question, the defense will be there. Can you speed things up enough where it's next year? So it can be the special year that Mac Brown talked about, you know, back in 2019. That I think that's going to be the talking point over the next seven, eight months is how, how much progress have we seen on that defensive side of the ball? Buck, to that point, is there pressure on Jay Bateman, on the defense, uh, on those play, defensive players to be better, consistently better, given the fact that Sam Howe has been so good. I mean, that, that, that's a level of pressure on those guys, right? 
I think that's a fair point to make, but um, back to going back to the future, so to speak, um, we saw a lot of UNC freshmen uh, come on in the second half of the season. Uh, you know, Tony Grimes, uh, you know, Miles Murphy Baller. was, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's uh, more than a handful of those guys. One guy I'd like to see a lot more of is Cayman Rucker. I think that guy can play ball. Um, Jacurious Conley, um, you know, and not to mention they were missing Storm Duck, you know, for uh, most of the season. Uh, Kyler McMichael, um, although not really a true freshman, but some of those other guys, Des Evans flashes, um, you know, this guy, that guy, uh, there's six or seven even, um, you know, very young guys or true freshmen that we saw in the second half of the season began to have a more significant role. Um, and let's say they have storm duck back, um, Storm Duck and, and Tony Grimes as your two corners, you, that's going to give you a lot of options. You know, that both of those guys can man up on the outside. And, you know, Jason's already drooling over there thinking about that kind of thing. That might be the best pair of corners in the, in, in, the, uh, in the ACC next year. If those two guys are your starters, they're both healthy and everything's as it should be. Duck and Grimes, I think, you could make a strong case would be the best pair of corners in, in the conference. And, uh, Tommy, you and I were talking about, uh, during the podcast that, and then Jason was with us that, um, the guys, uh, that scratched on the stat sheet that, you know, made one tackle at least or whatever. Um, during the Miami game, I think the only two, um, players that were not going to be back for 2021 were Tamon Fox and Chas Surratt. Now that's gone down to one player. Um, you're talking about 10 out of the 11 players that started uh, against Miami and against Texas A&M. And some of those guys, 10 of those 11 starters that started those two games are not going to be starters probably in 2021. When Storm Duck comes back and he's ready to go, somebody's coming off that field. Uh, that's just how it's going to work. Yeah, and Bingley Jones might send somebody to the to the to the sideline himself, and he hasn't even played yet. That that's very possible. And so I think when you start talking about 2021, a lot of those young guys that we saw in the second half of the season, um, and even guys that that contributed before that. They're in a position, Clyde Pender, I mean, you could go on and on. They're going to be in a position to contribute at a much higher level than they did the second half of 2020. And some of the guys that are in the 2021 class, by the time we get to the second half of the, of the season next year, guys like Kashawn, Silver, Power Eccles, although 
I liked what I saw from Eugenio Asante. And, you know, there's a handful of guys. I think four out of the five highest-rated players in this class are all on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so early, you know, there could be some, you know, uh, we don't have all the depth we'd like to have. But the time you get to game six, seven, eight, nine, you know, in 2021, the guys I was just talking about, they're going to be more experienced. And then you're going to have another handful of players that are going to be able to contribute on the level of that we saw from the freshman this year. So are they going to be a better defensive team in 2022? You bet your ass they will be because they're going to have like three classes worth of absolute defensive studs across the board. Um, but I, I think they've got a chance, particularly, I think, in the second half of uh, 2021. You know, they, had got, they got a chance to have a very deep team of defensive war daddies uh, on defense. And keep in mind, the guys that we saw shine the second half of uh, 2020, they didn't have a spring practice. You know, they didn't have – they missed four or five weeks of uh, conditioning, off-season conditioning. Um, and likely, they will get that this year. So, um, I, I think the 2021 defense can be – four, five, six points better a game than the 2020 defense. So, and, and maybe they'll need to be. I don't know how the running back situation will work out for North Carolina. I suspect it'll be okay, but uh, I don't know that yet. But in, in terms of what I think I know, I think the 2021 defense has a chance to be really, really dynamic and is particularly – when you get in, break into the second half of the season. It's a great point about those guys turning it up after midway. Of course, after, you know, during Wake Forest, they got a chance to play more. Um, it's kind of like Mac Brown going to Torbush back in after the Sun Bowl. It's like get the fre- – in, in the Wake Forest game, get the freshmen in there and, and let them play, and it turned out. It was a uh, market – I mean – Hindsight's twenty twenty, I know, but you put some of those guys in, you put Conley in a bunch, you start putting Murphy in and Pender, and the defense all of a sudden gets better. So you're kind of saying, well, why didn't you do this earlier? But Well, I mean, having, having been on the coaching side of things, the reason you don't is because those players aren't ready. And so yeah. you can have a guy who eight out of 10 plays in practice, he's just that much better than the guy in front of him who's older. The problem is that those two plays are touchdowns. Yeah. And so you can't put him in and you keep telling him in practice, son, I really want to play you. And you mean every word of it. Like, man, just give me a reason to play you. You can't be doing this. Like just get that one play out of your system and we're fine. Here's what you got. And it's almost always, and, and this was the thing, if, you, if those listeners will remember that prior to the Wake Forest game, and those, uh, that was about where the second bye was, I believe. I think it was prior to the Wake Forest game where I said, look, this is the post-bye game. 
this is the game. If we're going to see the, 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 the young guys play and really take a step forward, it's going to be from here on in the season. And that's exactly what happened because you're able in that buy to really give those, those guys enough reps to where now they're going to know what they're doing. They've had enough time to mess around and practice and, and make their mistakes and all of this. And then you give them enough reps in that bye week to really see where they're at. And then they can potentially take that step forward. And guys were, those are the more talented guys. And then they get on the field and they're not totally lost. And all of a sudden they look so good. You're like, well, man, I wish we'd have played them earlier. But if you'd have played them earlier, they're running the wrong direction and they're, you know, blowing a coverage or whatever. And that's the thing. But yeah, the defense completely changed when you got, uh, when, when you got the, the guys that you mentioned and, and Grimes on the field suddenly you, you started seeing some physicality, some physical differences there. And I agree with Buck. This, this is the team in 2021, if they have a good offseason and they're reasonably healthy, nobody's going to want to play that 2021 team late in the season. It, you know, it, how, the, 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 how the schedule shapes up, I think, is going to be important. You want your, your harder games in the second half of the season if you're that team because nobody's going to want to play that team in, in, at the end of the season. Because they're going to have had the chance to get some of those guys seasoned, and then things start to gel, and you, you'll have a, a much more complete football team. Yeah, Notre Dame's on October thirtieth, so that's definitely late. So that's big to go there. I, I would favor I would favor North Carolina against that Notre Dame team right now. I want to hold you to that on the preseason prediction. I'm, I'm playing. I'm, I, there I'm would have to your be feet a lot to the that fire would... on that, buddy. There would have to be a lot that will change over the off season for me not to favor North North Carolina against Notre Dame for next year. <laughs> Just remember, we got they do yeah, lose a ton of, of seniors with book unless, gone, they, unless they mean, decide to come back. You know, they yeah, got a free well, year. The thing is, with with book gone, and then they're, they're losing. Well, of the guys that started at the end of the year, four out of the five offensive linemen. If they don't decide to come back, which they could. Right. They could, but I, you know, probably not because they can start making money in the NFL. Yeah, you're not going to see all five come back. No, and you know that that was such a senior-heavy team that you would have to have a lot of those guys opt for that unusual, you know, COVID-permitted year, uh, extra year, for me to favor that that Notre Dame team against North Carolina next year. Let because me, I think they're going to lose so much, and Carolina is actually going to be better uh, on the defensive side in particular. That I, I think that's the issue, but the running back position has to really take a step forward. Cause I, I think that that absolutely showed up against Texas A&M. And I know Buck, the, the, the numbers were, well, you know, he's about the same amount of, you know, production as Najee Harris against, uh, against them or whatever. That's fine. But what I saw was guys going down with, you know, on the first tackle in the open field. And, you know, there, there, there was one, one run eight minute mark of the first quarter, roughly where Henderson, and, and I'm not picking on him. He's a young player. He, it's gonna, he's going to get better here. But Henderson had, you know, he's into the second level, had an opportunity to potentially take it to the house and, and got cut down on, by the first guy. And I've, I've broken down. I've watched that exact play eight, ten times in the past two years. And Javante Williams scores on all of them. He breaks that first tackle and takes it to the barn on all of them. And yep. I'm not sure Michael Carter even gets touched on that, uh, given the angles there. And either of those guys scores on that play, and now you have a touchdown instead of a field goal. And that's going to be really important for the 2021 team 
normally running back is not a real high value position, but they're going to have to find, they're going to have to make sure whether it's a young guy, whether it's an older guy, they're going to have to make sure that they're going to find somebody who's going to make sure who's going to, who's going to have some yards after contact or who's going to make that initial guy miss and, and earn a little bit of extra beyond what the offensive line does. But the one last thing for me on, on 2021, and I know I, I've uh, gone ahead of, of you even uh, introducing my segment here, uh, uh, Tommy, but the other big thing that sticks out to me on, in 2021 is they need to have a good offseason, particularly on the offensive line. Because there's a lot of talent on the North Carolina offensive line. You've got four guys there, and I think you could argue that all five starters and maybe a backup could at least get a cup of water at the NFL level. I think Azudu should be first team All ACC next year. Yeah, well, Azudu has a hell of a player. Azudu has a chance of being a first round draft pick. I mean, he. I don't. I don't know how much you watched him, uh, even against A and M. He's a, he's a stud. He's a stud. I mean, I, I, he can do things that normally can't be done from that position. Yeah, he is. He is an absolute dancing bear, and he is. He's one of those guys that. With, with a good offseason, with just working on a couple of the weaknesses that he's got and just polishing up his body, polishing up a little bit, he could be a first-rounder. Could be. Thing is, they've got Tucker. Could, Tucker should play in the NFL. McKeithen should play in the NFL. These are, guys, these are all guys that should play. You know, I think Richards has a chance of playing in the NFL. He's got a long way to go, but he's got a chance. And Anderson, I mean – Came light years this this year. Yeah, he he had a he had a he had a huge year this year and took some steps forward to make you go well. You know, he's at least going to get a look. So you got five guys that all have the chance at least to get a look, and at least three who should be playing in the NFL after next year. And at the same point, Richards, by the way, four of those guys have been playing together for two solid seasons. They'll be going into their third year together. Yeah, so things you talk should be, about chemistry on the offensive line. Yeah, things should the chemistry should be great, but there are a few places where they've underachieved their physical talent so far a little bit, and part of it is because a couple of those guys are about ten pounds, fifteen pounds overweight. The right side's a little overweight, and and you see that manifest in pass protection. You see those guys where they need to be able to bend just a little bit better than they do and their feet need to be just a little quicker. And, and both of those can be done with a little bit of weight loss, a little body composition. And if those guys put in the extra time with Hess in this off season and they're able to manage diet and make sure that they get to where they need to be, then you could be looking at the best offensive line in the ACC, one of the best in the country and a, a group of guys that give Sam Howell a ton of time. But if they come into the season with the same sort of weight ratio and being just a little overweight and a little slower and more sluggish than they should be and not bending quite as well as they should and, and the conditioning not being quite, quite where they need to be, then they're going to be a really talented line that might be able to open up major running game holes again and, and give you a lot, but just be frustrating enough against better defensive lines that they're just not quite where they should be. And to me, that is, that is the key to the Carolina offense next year. If there is one more than anything else, it's that offensive line taking the step forward to be elite with the experience that they have 
matching the physical talent that they have up there, can they t- take that step forward and be one of the, one of the offensive lines in contention for, for the best in the country? And I think they've got the talent to potentially do it, but it's just going to be – they've got to have a great offseason to get there. Yeah, we're not used to hearing Phil Longo or Jay Bateman say many negative things about their players, um, even in constructive criticism ways. But what we have heard from Phil Longo – um, is that that group has struggled, and you pointed it out in, in one of your recent videos, Jason, uh, with the obvious passing protections. Uh, they, they've really thrived off of play action. Uh, I mean, you can do that when you've got Carter and, and Javante back there. So they have to make significant strides there, especially because I agree with you, Jason. You're finally going to see some of those five wide looks that we, we saw in the Orange Bowl next year, unless they're able to bring in a, a stud uh, running back out of the transfer transfer portal or if one of these young guys just kind of grows up overnight. Um, the other thing, though, with the offensive line, we've talked a lot this year about how much talent that and potential that starting line has. Uh, they still have a lot of concerns about the backups. And so when you start talking about – I know we're focused on 2021, but when you start talking about projecting forward, um, if you lose Sam Howe next year – and you lose some of these guys on the offensive line, where does the offense go if, if you don't have young guys step up? Because right now, I mean, it's Ed Montalus and it's Curon Johnson, who's a walk-on. That's about all they trust right now uh, out of those top five guys. So there has to be uh, some, some development with the guys they have. They've got the numbers, but now they've got to have guys really step up and give them a legitimate two deep because Notre Dame is a good example. Uh, they lost two like stud players coming into that North Carolina game and you couldn't tell it. Oh, they had other guys that could step up. You could tell with the center, but they still were, your point is that they were still great, but it wasn't a huge drop off. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't affect them against Carolina, a team like Carolina. It did not affect them against a team like Carolina. It, it, it would affect them against an Alabama. Sure, and it did. Yes. They didn't have that center against Alabama and it absolutely did affect them. Right. But I mean, so Buck, um, Keys for North Carolina to take another step forward next year. Give me, give me two or three keys in your opinion here on January, whatever it is. January 6th, way pre-spring practice. What has to happen for Carolina to go from eight to ten? I think my um, keys for the defense would be, be a very short list. Uh, get healthy, have a good offseason, and – the weight room, hit spring practice field, ready to roll. Uh, that's about all I would say for the uh, defense. For the offense, um, you know, everybody's talked about the need to find a running back. And, and I agree with that. I'm not trying to minimize it. But keep in mind, three years ago, 2018, Javante Williams couldn't get on the field. He had like 224 yards rushing on the year. Could not get on the field. Larry Fedora could recruit talent on the offensive side of the ball, but. Well, yeah, but who was the lead rusher uh, that year? Jordan Uh, Brown? That season didn't happen. I don't remember it. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, as, as a true freshman, he was a true freshman, but so were. So are DJ Jones, which we didn't see. So is Elijah Green, who we didn't see. 
Um, they both had arguably as good a games against Western Carolina as Javante Williams had in his freshman year. So uh, we, we don't know what North Carolina has really at running back. And, um, you know, who, who knows how that's going to shake out. But I think more so than um, Javante Williams having a great substantial personal leap forward from 2019 to 20, uh, 2018 to 2019, it was the – change in offense because it's a double-edged sword. You know, if you've got a quarterback that's capable of hitting a 70-yard, 75-yard touchdown pass right after he gets the kickoff, uh, you can't devote seven, eight, nine, ten players to the box to stop people. And, and Carter and Williams took advantage of that. And not taking anything away from those players. They're both great players. I think they both have a decent NFL career. But uh, the the Longo offense, you know, people think about the air raid offense as being, you know, very friendly to wide receivers and quarterbacks. But the biggest difference I saw uh, when Longo came on board as offensive coordinator is how much better the running game got. It got a lot better from 18 to 19. So we'll see. I mean, you know, may, maybe, uh, you know, North Carolina certainly is not going to be able to match Carter and Williams, you know, as in 2020, how they performed in 2020. But how big of a step back will they take? I, I don't know. And how will Longo compensate for that? You know, we already talked about the five wide situation. So the running back position is going to be hugely report, important. And I think as much as that is important, they've got to find a reliable field stretcher at wide receiver. They got to find that Mac Hollins, Diami Brown guy that could take a top off the defense because that goes a long way towards opening up the running game and everything else you're trying to do in the offense. So those are my two keys. Uh, you you got to have a guy that can stretch the field at wide receiver, and you got to get solid uh, play out of your uh, running backs. Other than that, there's not much to talk about. Um, Josh Downs is a superhero in waiting. You know, uh, if they would fit me, I'd go out and buy Josh Downs pajamas now. But <laughs> I, I, I think I'd have a hard time finding them in my size. Um, I got a website. You can order anything, any jersey you want, any any type of stuff you want. It might take a while to get here, but okay. you can get it. <laughs> okay. Let's put in a special request for Johnny T-shirt here. Buck, <laughs> Josh Down Jamas. Josh Downs Jamas. <laughs> but those are my keys for 2021. Um, just in terms of the team itself, um, that's how I see what's got to happen. On and the other thing I think we ought to talk about briefly at least, is special teams made a big leap forward in the second half of the season. Yep, for sure. Um, and, and that's going to help North Carolina in 2021 if they can continue that. Yeah, I think the biggest deal with special teams is we didn't talk about it as screwing up much. I mean, there right. weren't any, there weren't any the kickoffs or, or punt returns for touchdowns, but there was 
great kickoffs. Uh, I mean, I think that's huge. But, Greg, I'll let you close it. Um, and, and I'll go back to the pressure thing that I talked about earlier. Is, is there pressure? I mean, Carolina's not going to be a – oh, that's just Carolina football. It's going to be – that's Carolina football. And people are paying attention. It, how, do, how do the pressure of expectations change anything? Uh, that, that's a great question. We'll have to see how the team reacts because I think Mac said it best last week when he said, you know, everybody was happy with the North Carolina Clemson game in 2019. Carolina, it comes within a two point conversion opportunity of, of beating the top team in the country. Uh, but did Clemson really give UNC full attention? I didn't think so at the time. Mac doesn't think so now, but there is no doubt that Notre Dame and Miami and Texas A&M, uh, they, they were well aware of what they were dealing with against North Carolina. That's a big step forward. Um, now it's a matter of North Carolina is not going to sneak up on any of these teams, especially with Sam Howell. You're getting a Heisman campaign going. Um, so that's a different animal being, you know, we've talked about it a lot in, in various sports, but, but when you become the hunted as, as opposed to being the hunter, um, you can't slip up, and there is pressure. And as Max said, uh, any loss moving forward is a bad loss, at least in terms of how the fans and the media will perceive it. And that's a lot different than getting a pat on the back because you came close to beating Clemson, or you, you played really well against Notre Dame and Texas A&M. Yeah, they just pulled away late. But, but good job. Uh, we're proud of you. Those days are gone. And – so the players have to learn to deal with that. And they have to understand that they're going to have to, to practice to the level they have to every single day. And Mac has said they made a big step in that regard. Last year, they were very much up and down. Uh, this year, they've been much more on point and intentional in their practice habits. That has to continue. Um, and I think the other, the other part of it, too, uh, is Mac had a great, great line that he snuck in. And he said that, that North Carolina is finally recruiting guys and signing guys defensively who can get sacks without the need uh, and the help of scheme. That means they're good enough players. It doesn't matter what they're asked to do. They can get pressure on the quarterback. That is a game-changing situation. North Carolina has not had that. Uh, and so I think you, you have the pressure issue where the guys have to, have to live up to that expectation but now you're going to start seeing some guys come in who can make plays on their own, like a De'Ami Brown on the offensive side or Javante Williams. You're going to see those types of guys on the defensive side now. Uh, and that, that eliminates some of those concerns. And that allows you to put guys out there who can just be playmakers. And the defense has been lacking in that regard. So um, I think when you roll all those things in together, North Carolina is poised to take that next step. I think they are a team. They should be a team this fall that can get to double-digit wins. It's a lot harder to get there than it sounds. Uh, and having a, having a guy like Sam Howell's quarterback uh, helps, helps in a big way making that next step. It's just fascinating that where we've come on this podcast in two years um, and how the team has changed so much in two years. I think the team will be different in 2021. There's going to be some turnover. Um, I think getting Taman Fox back, the announcement today is huge. Um, for North Carolina, uh, I think that that makes a difference. The experience of Garrett Walston coming back on offense, I think 
uh, makes a big deal. That was a huge – Walston coming back was a bigger deal than most people realize. Yeah, because, I mean, he just – he is as unsung a player, as an important player as, as you can get. And I think it'll be interesting and fun to watch and to cover this team. I think what – and I'll wrap it right here. The way they handled 2020 tells me the amount of buy-in that these guys have. And I think for you to be good, Alabama good, Clemson good, you have to have it. And I think Carolina's there, and I think Matt Brown is like Jason said and Buck said and Greg said, right on schedule. We're going to wrap this one up. I'm going to get out of here and get everybody off of here. Uh, spring comes in March 23rd to April 24th, something like that, Greg. Um, I th- I'm pretty sure the yep. spring game's April 24th, so we'll yep, talk a lot is. about we'll talk a lot about football when we get closer to that. Don Callahan, Ross Martin, will always had the recruiting scoops, um, but that's going to do it for the Inside Carolina game plan and day after podcast crew for 2020 slash six days in 2021. Buck Sanders, Greg Barnes, Jason Staples, appreciate it, guys. Enjoy it, fellas. Yep. It's always fun. Yep. Buy my book. And sponsor Johnny T-shirt. <laughs> Y'all be safe. Everybody be safe. We'll talk again soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. New CBS Monday. NCIS is back. We need all hands on deck. So grab your gear. NCIS! And join our elite team. What about the charges? Murder. New cases to be solved. Double tap to the chest. Same caliber as the murder weapon. And new criminals to catch. That's the bomb maker. Where's the bomb? A new NCIS, Monday, 9, 8 central, on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.